Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey everyone, it's Baz Dubois and this is Hammer at Home. I feel as a race, as a human race, and me personally as an individual, I just don't think we're doing enough to nurture the planet and provide the cultural stability, the food and the environment that humans need to flourish. We all like to think we're doing the right thing, using our keep cups and avoiding one-use plastics, and we are. But there's so much more we have to do as a culture until we start valuing humanity, sustainability and the planet, we're just going to continue down the wrong track. This needs a complete rethink and we are the only people that can guide that rethink. But to do this, we need to know all the facts and the first thing we need to understand is carbon and why it's so important. To help me work it all out, I've called Dr Vanessa Rulin from Curtin University. There's no doubt about it, Vanessa, you're an expert when it comes to carbon. But a lot of people don't really understand what they're actually talking about when they're talking about greenhouse effect or when they're talking about their carbon footprint. And I think if we understood that more clearly, it would be easier to understand how we can help. So, in a really basic format, what is carbon? The first thing we have to distinguish, I guess, is between carbon and carbon emissions. What we're talking about are carbon emissions or even carbon dioxide equivalents because there are lots of different types of greenhouse gas emissions that we always refer back to in carbon dioxide equivalents because they all have different potency. So, for example, methane is 21 times worse than carbon dioxide. So there are many different types of activities that cause carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalents in the atmosphere. So things like the burning of coal to produce energy, industrial processes, even agriculture produces a lot of emissions, smoke coming out of tailpipes of cars, etc. All of these things that we do in our everyday lives are, are contributing to the carbon emissions in, in our atmosphere. Even the use of our appliances at home is obviously using energy which is produced largely from coal in Australia. So there's, there's a whole host of things that are contributing to our carbon footprint and, and our carbon emissions and climate change. So these things emit carbon emissions, but then we can also store the carbon emissions, can't we? How do we do that? Yeah, so there's, there's actually quite a few different ways of storing carbon emissions, but probably the, one of the biggest and best ways of doing it and something that we've been doing for a long time are through trees. We know that when trees grow, they sequester or they, they suck in the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. They actually need it. It helps them to grow. They convert it into oxygen, but they also store that carbon dioxide in their roots and in their, um, their trunks and everything. This is something that the, the planet's been doing for millennia. It's the very best way of um, storing our carbon. We're starting to see more human-made technologies trying to store carbon as well, and that's when we, we hear things like carbon capture and storage, trying to capture the carbon emissions or the, or the greenhouse gas emissions that are being emitted, particularly from very energy, or sorry, I should say greenhouse gas-intensive industries like like coal or, or industrial processes, capturing that and then injecting that back into the ground and trying to make sure that that uh, stays secure in the ground, like locking it in. It's very much an unproven technology still. There's not really a wide scale use of it. There's a lot of people working on it. 
But again, I, I just think the, the best way is actually through our trees. And unfortunately, we're still cutting down trees at an unprecedented level across the world, also particularly in Australia. Over the last couple of centuries, we've cut down so many trees in, in Australia, and we've seen the impacts of that through you know, huge salinity problems in our farmlands, dust bowls, um, where you can't actually, the soil is starting to blow away because there's nothing to fix it. So by planting more trees, this is really shown to, to address a lot of these problems. So not only does it actually improve our farmland, but it also helps to sequester carbon and, and store that carbon away. And of course, it adds to the biodiversity, which is supporting all life. So carbon dioxide or these carbon emissions are harmful in excess. But as an environment, we need some carbon emissions to feed the trees and all that sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. There's always been a very delicate balance of the right amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We certainly do need it. As I mentioned before, trees do actually need it to, to grow and survive. But what we're seeing is actually an excess amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that's very much been correlated with our industrialised activities over the last 200 years or so. And that's what we're worried about. What scientists are really concerned about is this is the first time in our human history that we've actually reached this amount of carbon dioxide emissions or equivalent emissions in our atmosphere. So while there has, we have reached those levels in our history, it hasn't been while humans have existed. So we don't know what we're about to you know, lead into. Like This is what we call tipping points. Like Once we hit a certain point, it actually causes other events to occur, which could even be ice ages and all sorts of things. And we are starting to see different weather events, you know, happening now as well because of this new amount of carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere. We're seeing an increase in bushfires and storm surges, sea level rises, droughts and floods and all these sorts of weather events that are becoming much more frequent now than they have been in, in our human history so far. So what you're saying is for thousands and thousands of years, there has been a level of carbon dioxide and carbon emissions in the air naturally from all sorts of different things. Our planet has adapted and learned to thrive on that. But then all of a sudden, man and his industrial revolution came along and started to create a lot more carbon. That sort of tipped the scales, unbalanced the amount of carbon emissions, which is having a dramatic effect on a whole bunch of other things, climate being one of them. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. I think what a lot of us don't understand is that in Australia, we have one of the highest per capita carbon footprints or per person carbon footprints in the world. We live in large houses, we all drive cars, we eat a lot, we, we actually throw a lot of our food away as well that we purchase. We also eat a lot of meat, which has been linked to high carbon emissions as well. So it's very much about how we live. It's interesting that you just said that as individuals, Australians have a large carbon footprint. Isn't that just because, though, we've got access to more things? because we're the lucky country? And that's largely to do with our lifestyles. It's to do with many factors, actually. But in Australia, we do have some of the largest houses in the world. So it is the fact that we are affluent. And while our houses have been growing in size over the last couple of, well, decades, probably, we've also been seeing like a re reduction in the occupancy of our houses as well. So we have fewer and fewer people living in larger and larger houses, which means we need more space to house everyone as well which then leads on to cutting down more trees and expanding our cities out into our natural and biodiverse areas or our farmland. We're also very car dependent as a nation. So if you compare us to some of those bigger cities around the world where they have a lot more public transport, which is more efficient and less carbon emission intensive, particularly trains and so forth that might be powered by electricity that might come from more renewable energy. So it's everything combined. It's the way we've designed our cities, what fuels our cities. So we largely rely on coal-fired power in Australia for our energy. 
but it's our affluence as well. The fact that we have a lot of money to be able to purchase a lot of things and that also obviously contributes to our, our houses. The fact that we have big houses, we buy a lot of stuff to fit in there as well. It sounds to me like our problem is that we're subconsciously wasting without realising it. So when you think about decisions that are made around property development, around architecture, and the way that uh, our cities are laid out, you know, we've got a lot of space, we've got a lot of money, we've got a lot of time and energy. So we don't really have to consider it. But imagine if we were India or China with that sort of population, then we'd have to innovate to do it better. We do it because we have to. And that's what we need now. Because we don't really have to worry about it, we're not worrying about it. Explain to me this then, schools, businesses, corporations, how are they affecting everything? Well, everyone has a role to play, I guess, and everyone's contributing to our national carbon emissions at at some level. So it's exactly what you say. We, We are often wasting resources unnecessarily, but also unknowingly in a lot of cases. And that's what we found back in 2012 when I helped to certify the first carbon neutral school in Australia. And that was really eye-opening for me because even at the school level, we found that schools were, were wasting a lot of resources, mostly unknowingly, and they found that they had their air conditioning set to a maybe a too high or a too low temperature that was you know, consuming more energy than they needed. They were leaving doors or windows open. Some found that they had a crazy number of fridges that were unnecessary for the, for the school. Some things weren't being turned off over the weekends or even during the school holidays. So that, again, all of this stuff is adding to their consumption, their carbon footprint. By starting to look into their consumption, many of them found water leaks or gas leaks, and that's when you start to see where this waste is happening. And this is largely going to be the same for households and businesses too. People are just sometimes unaware of where things can be made more efficient. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone, this is Ange Bishop letting you know that if you're looking for something to do after you've watched Studio 10, of course, have a listen to some of our 10 Speaks podcasts. Ramsey Beat takes a look behind the scenes of iconic TV show Neighbours as it celebrates its 35th anniversary. There's the Husey We Have a Problem podcast, which is the best bits from the fantastic TV show. And our Reality Bite podcasts, Cocktails and Roses and Jungle Nights for when you're feeling like a reality TV deep dive. While you're at it, give the Starstruck with Angela Bishop podcast a go. Find them all on the 10 Speaks page on 10Play or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If we had to just point the finger, who are the greatest contributors to the loss of sustainability and the increase in carbon dioxide emissions? Oh, that's a really hard question. And it's, it really is, uh, you know, a factor and a contribution by so many things, um, including us as individuals. But obviously we want to say big industry, our, our coal-fired power stations, certainly globally are a major, if not the biggest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions, which is affecting our climate. 
But having said that, these coal-fired power stations don't exist because we as individuals and communities and society need that power and are using it and consuming it. And then there's other industrial processes like cement manufacturing, etc., that exist, again, to the benefit of our society and our economies. The things that we buy, for example, our iPhones and gadgets and the houses and the bricks, and you know, everything is for our benefit. So we need to help transition all those uh, industrial processes to greener ways of doing things. But we also need to educate people ourselves about making more sustainable purchase decisions, not living such throwaway lifestyles and always choosing the greener option. The simple fact when it comes to governments, industry, humans in general, we all have to be in this together. We need to work together. But who's actually got control here? Is it government? Is it industry and corporations? Or is it us, the consumer, and where we put our money? I think it's absolutely at all levels. And certainly in my career as an academic over the last 10 years, I've been teaching sort of climate policy and working that climate change space and sustainability. We've seen how hard it is at the global level to make decisions and commitments. So these are all the UNF, uh, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC climate conferences that happen every year. We've seen how hard it is to come together and agree on, on targets, but also at the national level. So particularly in Australia and the US, among many other countries, we've seen how hard it is to make these decisions and, and how change in government can completely change the kind of politics of the country and what direction they're taking in terms of transitioning to a low carbon economy. In Australia, in particular, our last decade has seen so many changes in prime ministers, largely due to climate politics. And that's really hard for businesses and industry because they they don't get a clear signal from the government about what they're trying to achieve. You know, what are they working towards in the next five or 10 or 20, 30 years time? They like that certainty so they can plan for it. And then at the state level, we're seeing a little bit more action and more commitment. I think in Australia, every state and territory has committed to the net zero target by 2050 which the federal government hasn't done. But I certainly personally believe, and this is what my PhD showed, is that we're seeing by far the most action is is actually occurring at the local level. Local governments can just hit the ground running and there's a lot less bureaucratic processes involved. They're making commitments and just starting to deliver. They're also the closest level of government to the community so they can talk to the residents and they, they implement a lot of those regulations and policies that can actually shape our cities through urban planning, et cetera. And I guess at that local level, you also see local businesses getting involved and businesses have certainly been leading the way globally in many cases in action on climate change. And you see some of the the huge tech companies, for example, putting in really some really progressive targets and examples are like Apple and Microsoft that have pledged to become carbon neutral or net zero carbon by 2030. And I think Microsoft even went as far as saying they're going to even offset all their historical emissions as well, which is pretty progressive. But for a lot of small businesses, they're also saying, yes, we want to commit to action on climate change too. And I think that in itself, all this momentum and movement from from that local level can really provide direction to the government to say, this is what we want. This is what our society wants. We want you to commit to action. We want you to help us drive it. I'm being supported by IKEA for this podcast, and they've got a goal of being carbon neutral by 2025, which I find admirable. When we talk about climate change, we see that for thousands of years, the climate changed very slowly. But over the last 200 years, climate has been affected severely. 2020 was an incredible year for so many people, and a lot of industries slowed right down. In that period of slowdown, was there any noticeable change? Is there any measure on how that affected climate change? 
Yeah, there is. There's actually a lot of reports coming out saying how much that COVID has affected our global greenhouse gas or carbon dioxide emissions. And we've seen, you know, massive industries shutting down during COVID, so they're emitting less gases. We've also seen a massive reduction in transport emissions. Obviously, there's a lot of flights being cancelled. But even in places like China, which, you know, have severe smog problems, there's less cars on the road. So unfortunately, slash fortunately, COVID has had quite a positive impact on climate, but obviously very, very devastating in a lot of areas, obviously health and the economy. But it has shown us that we can actually deal with a crisis and we can dramatically reduce our emissions if needed. Obviously, we, we need to do it in a way that's not impacting the economy so harshly. But this is when we talk about a transition period, but you know, transitioning to lower carbon or cleaner sources of energy, and, and that includes cars and everything else. But this transition needs to start now. So where do we go with this? What happens if we just keep going? What could the outcome be? Well, we've already heard from the scientists that this is going to be one of the coolest decades in the next 100 years. We're always talking about, you know, that it's the hottest in our history so far, but it's actually going to only get warmer and warmer. And this is all going to lead into and produce more erratic and crazy weather events that we're going to have to deal with and adapt to in the future. Yeah, unfortunately, at the end of the day, we have already locked in a certain amount of carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So we're going to see some of these impacts on our weather and our climate regardless. But if we start the transition now, we can absolutely affect how bad or severe it's going to get. I want you to answer this question for me. If you could think about three or four generations into the future, just imagine your great-great-grandchildren found this podcast and it was uh, a way for them to find out what it was like here right now. What would you, when it comes to the environment and environmental sustainability, what would you say sorry for? (sighs) Gosh, I think I would start by saying I'm so sorry that we took so long to act, particularly on climate change, but I guess climate change and sustainability go hand in hand in, in so many respects. We knew the science and many ignored it for, you know, for far too long, particularly in our political systems. We spent way too long debating it and for many people denying it when we should have just started the transition. I've got a great cartoon I often use in presentations which shows all the benefits of a low-carbon future, for example, more renewable clean energy, less pollution in our cities, you know, clean air, more trees, being more efficient with the resources, better urban design. And then someone in the crowd asks, but what if climate change isn't real and we create a better world for nothing? And I think that really sums it up. I I think our great-great-grandchildren will wonder why we didn't just make that transition earlier, considering all the benefits versus all the consequences of of being less sustainable or, you know, and these consequences of climate change that we're already seeing. So I guess I would just say I'm I'm so sorry that it's taken us so long to take action. Loved all that. And thanks very much, Vanessa. It was so great to have you on. Now we know what carbon emissions are and we know a little bit about sustainability or environmental sustainability. Join us next time when we're going to look at why it's so hard for us to do the right thing. We're going to deep dive into the psyche of why people tend to repeat bad behaviours, things that they know are bad and they can't stop doing. I'm Barry Dubois and this has been Hammer at Home. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hey, Husey here. Can't get enough. Hey, Husey, we have a problem. Well, here we are to help you even more. We've got a podcast. Find it at your favourite podcast app. 
In this time of great uncertainty, Goodit Foundation Australia is here to support you. We offer specialist perinatal psychological counselling services for expectant and new parents across Australia who are experiencing perinatal depression and anxiety. We provide up to 10 sessions for free from the comfort of your home using either a video or telephone call. For more information, please visit gidgetfoundation.org.au. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shine your boots, Governor. Yeah, all right, lad. They're looking a bit grimy. All right, I'll clean them up then. Sit down. Thank you. So you're reading the old paper there, sir. Yeah, what's it to you? Oh, I've got a new thing. It's a way to listen to the paper in your ears, you see. What are you on about, kid? I'm on about Ten Speaks Podcasts. What's a Ten Speaks Podcast? It's like a newspaper for your ear holes. Well, what sort of thing do they talk about, then? All sorts of things, Governor. Go on. They talk about Western Australian sport there, mate. I see you got the sports pages. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, who's that by there? Who says that? Doesn't matter about that one now. There's one about your house. Not your house. My, my house? <laughs> who's talking about my house then? I mean just houses in general. And other design-related things. That one's with Barry Dubois. Barry Dubois? Yeah, you know, from the Friday show. From the... Oh, from the living room. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what if I don't want to hear about my home or other people's homes? That's all right. You strike me as the kind of guy who might watch The Bachelor. The Bachelor? I've watched A Bachelor. Well, maybe you'll hear a bit more about that on one of our Reality Bites podcasts. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right, the shoes are done, Governor. That'll be ten quid. How much? Ten squids, mate. That's outrageous. You're outrageous. I'm out of here. 